Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. What up, folks? Welcome to church. Do me a favor, go ahead and find a seat. And while you're doing so, do me a favor, say out of your mouth, it's time to reboot the thing. Sometimes one of the smartest things Christians can do, they don't always know it, but if you're going to seek to walk closely to Jesus, we need to reboot the thing a whole lot more often than we've maybe thought in the past. Like you, my heart was broken this week as I heard about all that is going on in Afghanistan. And I know that lots of us have questions about, man, it's so heart-wrenching to hear about people uh, trapped in country, about people being executed on the streets already. It's like something out of a a horrific movie. And people ask questions, what, what are we supposed to do right now? Well, there's, there's a lot of things we can do, but I just want to give you some Bible direction on, on some things we can do. We can give. We can give to support refugees that are coming into our country. We don't want to underestimate prayer. You know, Jesus taught that anytime his people agree about stuff, there's somehow some kind of added power in that prayer for him to move and to act. And there's things we know about what we should pray. We want to pray for God's protection of people, God, for him to preserve life. We always want to pray. Anytime there's, there's tragedy on the world stage, one of the things we want to do is say, God, may the gospel go forth and give your people boldness. See, from God's perspective, the world's always shaken, and, and people are ushering into eternity every day. And he wants to use trial and difficulty. He wants to comfort, he wants to heal, he wants to protect, but he also wants to use trial and difficulty to lead people to see there's got to be more. Let's reach out to God now. And so I wonder if you would bow your heads with me one more time and let's just pray together as a family. Let's ask our God to move on behalf of everyone interacting with the situation. God, you are all powerful and your heart breaks to see tragedy and pain. Father, we lift up everyone who is trapped in country. We pray that you would protect them, preserve them. Everyone who needs to get out, who's supposed to get out, we pray that you would help them get out. We pray for everyone in the military, every operation that's going on over there. Would you give wisdom to every commander, every soldier, help them know what to do, help them have just up to the moment understanding of the situation, Help them protect and preserve life. We pray for those, especially Christians who are presently there and maybe aren't getting out. Lord, like you did in the book of Acts, we pray that you would give your people boldness and shrewdness to say the right things at the right time and to glorify and point to there's a life beyond this life. Put your trust in Jesus right now. God, we also pray for all the people that are displaced. We pray that you would protect them, take care of them, sovereignly lead them to places where they will be comforted and encouraged and encounter your people. And Lord, you who run things on the world stage and oversee everything and work sovereignly, even through tragedy, our world right now, that you would set it up somehow, that this would, even this, would work together for good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for indulging Jaden, am I doing something wrong with this mic, anybody? We'll just flow. If I'm doing something wrong, somebody just find me a new mic, please. We've been in this series, Clear Eyes. 
in full hearts. And we've been talking about how we need to get this vivid picture of Jesus Christ. And when we do, that is going to help us access a fuller life, a life that is more enjoyable as we do life with God growing in him. Today, I want to talk to you about clearing the road. We do need to have some self-reflection and kind of clear out our hearts from time to time. So there's a great book called 1493. I suppose it's not that great unless you like history. If you like history, it's, it's really good. It's about what was going on ecologically in the time of Columbus when uh, you know, the new world was encountered, what, what was happening like microscopically and all that kind of stuff. It's really neat. But <clears throat> the author says this, one of the things the Indians did is they would regularly burn the land. That was how they made roads. That was how they kept areas clear so that hunting would be good. And Europeans came over and they saw this and it was beautiful to them. They didn't actually pave any roads, but they would just use fire to make these hundreds of miles stretching roadways for them to use. I'll read you a quote. It says, regular, regular fall burning kept the Maryland forest so open that the Jesuit priest Andrew White wrote in 1634, a coach and four horses can travel through this without molestation. Rather than paving roads, Indians used fire to make what the ecological historian Stephen Pine has called corridors of travel. Well-used paths could be six feet wide, hundreds of miles long, and completely cleared of brush and stone. Occasionally, one did find unburned patches of land, and Virginia colonist William Byrd warned these were dangerous. He wrote, the dead leaves and trash of many years are heaped up together. Well, as the story goes on and decades go on, there are journal entries of places that were once kept beautiful, where there was like a canopy of the forest, there was a lot of trees removed, but then there was just these tall, tall trees that made this little paradise. As they were unkept, as Indians were being pushed further and further into the continent, things would die. Branches would break. Refuse would pile up. And it became what was once beautiful and awesome to be in became more and more dangerous for the colonists. They weren't clearing the fields and they weren't clearing the roads. And I think if the Indians could give them some advice in that moment, they would say, guys, you got to clear these roads. You got to use fire and you got to clear these roads to keep it as beautiful as it's supposed to be and as helpful as it's supposed to be. Hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, a prophet shows up after 400 years of silence, John the Baptist, and he says he's tasked with a very particular mission. And it's very similar message. He says, essentially, clear the road or prepare the way or get everything that's in the way out of the way so the true king, Jesus Christ, can come into your not just this land, but into your hearts. We're going to talk about clearing the road of dead things in our hearts. So there's a lot that can clutter our hearts. There's a lot that can go wrong in our hearts. But I'm going to give you two kind of opposite ends of the spectrum that go dramatically wrong inside of hearts. On one level, can somebody get me a new mic? Whoever. Go ahead whenever you can. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> there's kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. One is shame. This is something going wrong in the heart of someone who trusts Jesus Christ. It's good to be convicted. It's good to contemplate what we've done wrong. But shame is starting to tell us you're a bad... It's not just that you've done bad things. It says you are, you are a bad thing. And then on the other side, you've got folks who are really... It's just self-righteousness. That's, it's saying, not only am I 
doing pretty good. I'm doing better than most people. I'm pretty doggone. Sure, I trust God, but it's really about me and me doing better than others. Both are a problem. Let's talk about this one here for a second. We're talking about Pharisees. Uh, and Sa- both Pharisees and Sadducees are going to be our text today, but I'll group them together and call them Pharisees for now. There's a little Pharisee in each one of us. There's someone who is full of self-defense. We're going to talk about shame a little later, but let's talk about self-righteousness, this idea that I'm doing pretty doggone good compared to others. Thank you, Co. Isn't he awesome? He's skilled and handsome, ladies. Single. Very single. Jeez. So I want to play a little game. You've heard of, you might be a redneck if. Let's do, you might be a Pharisee if, okay? You might be a Pharisee if you're afraid to say what you really think because it's not in agreement with what the people around you think. I don't mean once in a while or it's not the right context. I mean, you're just always afraid to say what you really think find other clues about the inner Pharisee. You might be a Pharisee if you're a whole lot more worried about sounding smart or sounding competent than you are worried about loving others and helping them feel the affection of Jesus. You might be a Pharisee if you're not really concerned much about the inner life as long as everything looks pretty good in the outer life. And you might be a Pharisee if you're tend to rely on your own credit with God, meaning you feel like if you're behaving somewhat recently, you feel like you're good with God, and if you start to misbehave, you feel like you're less good with God. In all cases, those are cluttery things in our hearts, and they're depriving us from the free access, the the better view we would have, the more easily we would interact with Jesus Christ if we would clear the road. Somebody say, clear the road. Okay, so we're going to start with John 1, 29, and then we're going to jump to Matthew. <clears throat> the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist, there's Jesus. He identifies him. John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who, is sent, who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Real quick, just to note, on Jesus, he's saying the Spirit of God rested and landed and didn't go anywhere. See, in the Old Testament, we would frequently read about people who, like the Spirit of God came upon them to do something. But then the Spirit would not stay on them in the same way. Jesus is the one, he's totally different than every other servant of God, every prophet before him. He, the Spirit of God inhabits him and is overflowing and is never ending on Jesus. He is unique. He is a head and shoulders over every other servant of God. And he has special, you could call it, access to power. When he's on earth, of course, he's, he's the second person of the Trinity, so he has all cosmic power. But even as he walks as a man, as he emptied himself of, of his godhood, he's got this access to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, in a way that nobody else ever has. And he teaches, you, you can see in Jesus as he follows John, uh, there is a difference in what Jesus, the kinds of things Jesus says. There's a difference in the kinds of ways Jesus acts. There's a difference in not only the kind of miracles that Jesus does, but there's a difference even in what the followers of Jesus are experiencing compared to every other follower. Let's jump now to Matthew because we're going to see this season, 
written by a different one of the apostles. He's got a different, little bit different angle. He's including a few more details about what's happening here. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm a, we're going to go through the text. I'm going to give you some background detail, and then we're going to pull apart how we're going to clear the road. Matthew 3.1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So this is pretty good that it's in the wilderness. That's a good idea. And just so we're clear, they're talking about a desert, not like we're picturing woods. They're not in the woods. They're, they're off in the desert. And that's a really good idea because you can have lots of crowds out in the desert. The Romans aren't going to come up and t- like try to beat you down and keep peace in the city. They're not going to care what's going out in the desert. In addition, you don't need anybody's permission. You don't need the Sanhedrin. You don't need anyone to sign off on this thing. You can just be a wild prophet and you can baptize people and no one's going to say anything about it. So it's a great thing to be out in the desert, but there's one more reason. It's going to bring to mind immediately when people walk into that environment, they're going to start, in their minds, they're starting to think of, this reminds me of the old stories. This reminds me of Moses and the Exodus. Something godlike is happening here. This reminds me of Elijah. And even John the Baptist is dressed like Elijah. He's wearing this camel hair tunic. It's getting them in the mood. Sometimes you've got to get in a special place. You've got to visit a place you were at before, maybe, where God really moved. Sometimes you need a special place in your house or your apartment, or you need to travel back to maybe one particular chapel you were at at one point, not because you need to be there to meet God, but there's something about the environment that stirs something up in you that you want to re-encounter. God meets us sometimes in very previously inhabited places, and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Pull about repent in a minute, but the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven because he's Jewish and Jews had a hard time with the idea of writing the name God. So you need to understand in the New Testament when they're talking about the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it's really the same place. And what's even more confusing, it's not actually heaven. It's not heaven in terms of the location. It's heaven in terms of the rule of God. So it's not a place, it's a happening. What he's saying is, Okay, for all these 400 years, it seemed like the, the, the plan of God has been stopped, like nothing has happened. All the prophets have been silent, and now there's breaking forth onto the world stage. There's this new epoch, and now it's, it's, there's this announcement. Um, the kingdom, the rule of God, the reign of God is breaking out into the hearts of men and women. And so, yes, there's the world that is in rebellion against God, but then it's overlapping now with the kingdom where God is ruling on the inside of people in a way that he's never done before. He's telling people, essentially, it's time to get aligned with this kingdom. Verse three, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every one of our hearts falls into disrepair. We gotta know that that's gonna happen and we've gotta have a plan of what to do about it. Verse four, now John wore a garment of camels here, just describing kind of how wacky and wild he looks. Leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, so there's a big crowd now, man. People are coming out. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's quite a greeting. Why is he so harsh to these guys? Like, it seems like everyone else is cool, but these, now who were these guys? These were the, it's really two parties, okay, of, it's like two religious sects or parties, plus they're the political leaders. It's a combination of both. But what we've got to know is, in the New Testament times, there's, they've fallen on 
hard times spiritually. They've embraced a very exterior version of devotion to God, but inside they're very far from God. And not only that, they're uh, demonstrating that to all those around them. So John is a prophet. God gives him spiritual insight into people's hearts. So he sees these folks coming. And this is one of the signs of a prophet. Even the woman at the well says, oh, Jesus, you are have insight in my heart. You must be a prophet. So this is, this is not a peculiar thing for a prophet. He has insight into their hearts and he starts to say, hey, you guys are bad dudes. I know they look, everybody, like they're real professional. They look like their, their robes are flowing. They look really nice and fashionable, but they're bad dudes. And he calls them a brood of vipers. Okay, so in fifth, the fifth century BC, Herodotus had written that Arabian vipers, their, their babies pop out of the stomach. They eat their way out of the mother, okay? And so that became like a, uh, like a factoid, like a, a slogan. People in John's time, they would say, dude, you're like so bad. You're like a brood of vipers. You kill your mama. I mean, that's, that's what they're saying. You're so bad. Dude, you are, you are a gangster. Don't be fooled, everybody. These guys are bad dudes, is what John the Baptist is saying. And he's even pointing out there's a degree of hypocrisy, because we see in other examples of this text, or other places in the Bible where it's talking about the same thing. Their hearts are far from God. They're coming here for the sake of looking at it. See, everybody's coming out. And so they're like, well, we should go too. You know, to say that it's clearly some kind of religious thing. We should be there to be around it so we can say we did it. So in 2014, the ice bucket challenge went viral. How many remember that? Yeah. And I remember at first, I was like, oh, that's weird and, and kind of cool because they're giving, and I didn't know what it was at the time, they're giving you some cause, I guess, folks who do this. But then it kept going, and soon everybody was doing it. First it was celebrities, but then just everybody and their mom is doing it. And I began to feel this pressure, I think I have to find a way to pour ice cold water over my head just so I don't look like I hate whatever this disease, whoever has this disease, so I don't look like a hater. I don't know if you've ever felt that way with something online, but sometimes there's pressure for you to do something you might not even know exactly what it's about. It's about Lou Gehrig's disease I know now, but at the time I didn't know. But I still felt this pressure to postulate. Felt this pressure to put forth a pretense. So everyone thought that, oh, Carter cares too. I didn't really care when I actually did it because I didn't know about it. I didn't know enough about it. And that sounds a little sad, but that's what these... Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. They're showing up for the show, but John sees through them. He sees what's going on on the inside of them. Verse eight, bear fruit in keeping with righteousness and don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. They would often have comfort in the fact that they're descendants of Abraham. John is essentially saying, God doesn't need to stay within that plan. Abraham is God's plan, but that doesn't mean he needs you in order to pull off his plan. God's way bigger than your plan. Somebody say, God is bigger than my plan. Yeah, that's a word for somebody. God is bigger than my plan. Let's not worry about it. Even now the ax is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, so now again, here goes, you know, he's a prophet. So he's, he's talking about other historical prophets. And so he brings up this imagery that people like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel used, which is this idea of Israel is this tree. And it was supposed to bear fruit for the nations. It was supposed to show everybody, this is what God is like. But Israel wasn't acting that way. In fact, they were embracing all these pagan uh, demonic type rituals. They were going far away from God. And so the initial prophet said, you guys are no longer the tree of God. And now John the Baptist is saying, you guys look like you have your act together, Pharisees, 
but really you don't. That's just an exterior. You also are in danger of being cut down. His winnowing fork is in his hand. Or sorry, verse, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In an agrarian society, everyone would understand, okay, a farmer doesn't keep everything about the harvest, only that which can actually be sold and eaten, and then he throws the rest away. And these hearers were as uncomfortable with this statement as we are. They're like, are you saying I'm going to hell? What are you saying, John the Baptist? And while that does make us uncomfortable, and it did make them uncomfortable, I want you to think about this. Think about what the world would be like right now if people really believed to the core of their being, it matters what I do and it matters what I say. And one day I too will be held accountable before a holy God and I'm gonna have to answer for all this and it's going to affect what happens after that. If people really thought that, and I want you to get some people in your mind, what about child pornographers? What about everybody who is presently kidnapping a young lady to sell them into the sex trade? What about everyone whose job is to get people hooked on heroin? Just those people. What if those people, for 24 hours, they knew this is definitely going to lead to hell, eternally, forever? Do you think that could have an impact on the world if all of them knew at the same time and believed that? See, many have heard that. They just don't believe. They're like, that'll never happen. What if you include other forms of people that you would say, that is a horrific sin. I can't imagine anyone would do that. See, when you hear about people that sell women into sex slavery, you have to believe in hell. You don't have a good God if there's not a hell. How can he be good if that thing isn't answered? If the people in Afghanistan right now who will drag a woman who's not wearing you know, her head covering and they'll shoot her right there in the street. If there's not an answer for that, there's no way your God is good. But there is an answer. There is a, everyone is going to answer for God because God is just. Now we would say, well, those people are pretty bad. And you'd be right. But just notice, the Pharisees and Sadducees saw the people who were getting baptized. And they would say, these people are pretty bad. They're not like me. They don't know the Torah like I know it. I'm not saying that you are like the child pornographers of the world other than you also are prone to self-righteousness. You also, you, even though you don't do that, you still fall short of the glory of God. Now, thank God for Jesus, that's not gonna be a problem because of the cross. Amen. I just want us to understand all of us together need to do this thing of self-reflection and keeping with repentance. So let's clear the road. Let's clear the road of dead things. Here's number one, ask for conviction and sorrow. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Sometimes people want to know, how do I make sure that my Christian life is helpful, is effective, is doing something? Well, John gives us a clue right there, or Matthew in that case. Bear fruit by continuing to repent before God. Let me give you the visual and then I'll explain it. You have a road in your heart and it frequently gets cluttered up with sin, with behaviors, with attitudes that God isn't 
endorsing. We're gonna ask God, Lord, would you show me the road? Show me what's in this road. For some reason, I don't have the goggles that see it all the time. Let's go down to the road, Jesus, and when you give me eyes to see what is cluttering, what is supposed to be beautiful about this road. Repentance is the right response to the phenomenon of sin that is happening in all humans. God created the world and the people in it to walk in fellowship with him. And when we sin, we contradict the purpose of the world. That's what we do. When we repent, we turn back toward God. We say, God, forgive me. It's true, I own my moral responsibility. And I trust that because of what Jesus did for me, you wipe away my guilt and you actually put it on Christ. This is where we talk about being born again or born of the Spirit, as we'll keep looking at. Let me just show you this in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. I want you to see the elements of repentance so that we don't have an incomplete view of repentance. It's got to be all three of these. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. Three parts. See it? Turn to God away from evil but you're also turning, God, I'm now your thing. You actually have the right to rule me. And whatever you want to do, you get to do because you're God. And I don't get to know what all those things are, but because I'm your creature, I turn to you in repentance. And what we don't always understand is this is actually, even though there's an initial part and that's where we we come to Christ and and we're justified in such an awesome idea, meaning when you and I, for the first time, we say, Jesus, forgive me and fill me with your spirit, and make me born again. When we do that, it's kind of like he gives us this certificate that says, entirely forgiven forever, it is finished. And dude, your sin is now as far away from you as the east is from the west. You'll never, somebody say never. You will never have to make up for that sin. You will not spend the rest of your life trying to work it off because Jesus, it's already paid for. Why would you pay for it twice? Jesus paid for it. You don't have to pay for it. Jesus paid for it. And you're saying, yes, sir, I receive that. I believe that. And I trust that you really are going to do that. That's what we mean by saying born of the spirit or born again. But that repentance, here's what happens. Even though that happens and our, our slate is wiped clean, from God's perspective, legally it's clean. We still, as we walk through life, clutter up the road. And we are never condemned for it, but Jesus comes with us and he says, do you see that? You see that? You see that? Those aren't supposed to be here. We need to get rid of those things. That's daily repentance. Martin Luther said this, the the famous reformer. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So what do we do? We ask for a soft heart. You see, we, we naturally harden up at the idea that we're doing anything wrong. So we ask for a soft heart and we're saying, Lord, would you bring what we call conviction, meaning show me what I'm doing that brings you sorrow and then give me sorrow about it. We never want to become so flippant with the idea of forgiveness that we're like, ah, sin, no big deal. No, it's still a big deal. It's still what put the Savior on the cross. And so sometimes we have to say, Lord, would you make me appropriately sorrowful? Not that I got caught. Not that now I have to go on Twitter and apologize to everybody for something I don't even really mean but help me come to you in true regret that I hurt you. And that's a spirit-formed thing. Like God has to grant us that. Isn't that amazing? You can't even repent without God's help. 
we're asking for a soft heart. So let me give you some examples of if, you're, if there's a Pharisee in you where that might show up. Are there any places right now in your life where you're claiming something is true, but you know it's not entirely true? It's not exactly true. You've told somebody it, it happened this way, but you know for sure it didn't really happen that way. Is there any places where you use more spiritual-sounding language around people because they're spiritual people, but then when you go to other people, you use much looser language? Do you have anything in your house or apartment that you'd not be comfortable showing to the room right now? Is there any place where you're just pretending to be somebody that's not really totally me? I ripped that off. All those places, there's no need for you to walk around in shame about them. But we should recognize, yeah, but they're still wrong. They're still not true in the way that God wants us to be truthful. Here's the thing about all of us Pharisees, and you gotta, you, to enjoy Christianity, you've got to start here. Just like Isaiah says, you're in my goodness, our righteousness, it's filthy rags in God's eyes. It's nothing. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't help. It can't even clean anything. Our only good is God. It's not that you're not good compared to other humans, and that's where we get in trouble. But the question is not, where are you better than other people? Come on, somebody. The question is, where are you less loving than Jesus Christ? That's our question. If you want to avoid a pharisaical lifestyle, the question is, where am I less loving than Jesus Christ. That gets us off on the, wrong, on the right foot. But here's why we miss this sometimes. How many think this is good and rich and helpful? Yeah, yeah. I might as well, dude, you, you drove all the way out here. Okay, so I'm just gonna tell you what's in the Bible. How about that? <clears throat> sometimes the reason we're not finding more in the road, even if we're asking for it, is because the Bible is what highlights what's, what's otherwise hidden in the road. We don't have a lot of interaction with the Bible, so you forget that it's wrong to gossip. You forget that it's wrong to be disrespectful to your boss. You just forget because you weren't in the word and the word wasn't there to cut you to the quick like it was supposed to. That's what the Bible does. The Bible shows you here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what God thinks about that. And I just gotta tell you, Christian books are good. Christian music is good. And they can be helpful. And they can be a helpful, you know, kind of, I got to do something new just to, you know, keep my spirits up. But they're not the same thing as just going into the Bible. Dude, I, don't, I, want, I want the completely concentrated version. I don't want the watered down version. I don't want secondhand Jesus. I don't want other people's revelation. I mean, it's helpful. Yeah, it's good. But I don't want to mistake that for firsthand Jesus, ultra concentrated, here is God's word to you, ma'am. Here is God's word to you, sir. The Holy Spirit will show you what's in the road if you will get in the word. Somebody say the word. word. Somebody say clear the, road. clear the road. Now, here's number two, keeping with repentance. Ask for more fire and power of the Holy Spirit. We ask for more fire and power. We go down to the road and we begin to see things in the road and at first, we might say, I'll get that out of the way. But we're going to find, as we keep walking with Jesus, there's things that you can't get out of the way. 
You keep like, you, you like haul this trash off to the side. You come back tomorrow morning and it's there again. So trippy. We fall back into repeated patterns of sin. So I can't even get rid of this. I'm trying so hard and I can't do it. And the reason you can't do it was because just a baptism with water of repentance is good. It's, it's, telling, it's telling everybody, I, I need a clear conscience. I believe it's God who washes me. I need that. But if it's missing the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's just only half of what you need. So we need to go to God, the Holy Spirit, and say, I need you to fire me up. I need you to give me passion. And I need your power to begin to remove some of these wrong attitudes, some of these wrong ways that I treat people. And if it's not you, it's just not going to happen. And here's what's wonderful. When Jesus does it, Jesus gets the glory. Because then you have a long walk where you're, you're noticing, wow, this road is actually looking pretty good. And here's what I know. I did not do this. It does not lead to Pharisaism. Because you're like, this was straight up God. I asked God to do it. And then it started to happen. So we need to go to God and ask for his fire and his holiness. Talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sarah talked about this at the beginning during worship. There was this moment in Acts. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the new arrival, okay? Now people are going to be the temple and, and you don't have to go to a special place and people are going to be filled with power. And that did fill the church, but we don't want to miss it also the Holy Spirit himself is supposed to fill each of us individually and give us power to do what we could not do. Power to do what? Power to stay hungry for God. Power to avoid temptation. Power to be helpful to people in ways that you don't even know how you would begin to do that. Power to serve people. Power to interact with God sometimes in more supernatural ways. It's power that we need from him. And here's what we don't learn on the front end. Yes, you get the whole Holy Spirit when you start this thing, when you come to Christ, when you trust him for forgiveness, you get him entirely, but he wants us to keep getting more of him. Isn't that something? When Kenzie and I got married, I got the whole girl. Like all of the pieces of Mackenzie were present. There weren't any, you know, there weren't any extra arms, you know, in a closet somewhere on year five. Like I got the whole girl right there on that day. But how many know as we've walked together now for over two decades, in some ways I have a lot more of her and she has a lot more of me. I know her heart better. She knows my heart better. And I enjoy the richness that I, I suspected was there, but I didn't really know it. It's the same way with God. God, I know I have you. I know you are mine. And yet there's more. To, there's more to God. God is infinite. There's always more to him. So we got to ask. That's why Jesus taught in Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Somebody say, how much more? How much more? Hey, nobody knows. No one's ever gotten there. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we keep with repentance. We say, Lord, I need you to give me conviction, but then I need you to help me clear the road. And we need to do that pretty much every day. Lord, would you, as you end the day, Lord, show me any way in me that offended you. What did I do that would muck up the road? Won't, make me, won't cause you to leave me ever, but it will muck up the road. What, what happened? Let's get rid of it right now, Jesus. But what are the rewards? You know, there's people that don't repent. They don't spend much time thinking about it. And there's people that do. And I gotta tell you, they're enjoying some richness that the other folks aren't. Here's number three. Trust in God's promises, not your feelings. 
the ones who will embrace a lifestyle of keeping with repentance are enjoying some things from God. They're enjoying the reality of knowing that they are forgiven. They actually know that they're sinful, but then they know that they're forgiven. Psalm 103, listen about your God, his promise to forgive. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who will fear him. See, God is merciful, not because we're good, but because God is good and God loves mercy. That's why he does it. You know what's even, I don't know, sometimes more comforting to me is that in the midst of my repentance, when I repent, sometimes when you're avoiding a conversation with God, when you're pretending that didn't happen, you're like, I can't go to God yet. Sometimes if he's merciful, you'll begin to feel what the Bible calls the heavy hand of God on you. Like he's not trying to be mean, but he's being uncomfortable right here because he's trying to get you to say, oh God, I did it. It's me. I'm the man. I'm the villain. And he'll just leave it there. But the moment we run to him, we're, we're, we're expecting him, he's, okay, thunderbolt. But instead, what we get is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We get him encouraging us instead of condemning us. So now this is a few years ago. <clears throat> and sometimes part of my dynamic with God is I see visions. Sometimes I'm just daydreaming and it's not God at all. But there's sometimes when I see visions and they're particularly spiritually potent, and there's some kind of message in it. It's not scripture. It's not the same thing. No one would ever call it that, but it's still personalized to me, but I want to share one with you because I was just in a moment of feeling particularly bad about myself. You know, I've been walking with God all these years now, and here I am stumbling into this kind of sin again and just feeling really bad about myself, and Jesus gives me this vision, and here's what it was. There's this sheep And I could sense in the vision, the sheep is me. And it's full of all these burrs. And all of its wool is dirty. And some of it's a little bloody. And the sheep is there. And then down on his knee, looking the sheep in the eyes is Jesus, holding the sheep by the face, looking to its eyes. There's a chain around the sheep's waist. And somehow it goes like through the earth, like it's weighty pulling it down. And on that weight, it said guilt. And I heard Jesus say to the sheep that I knew was me, I love you. And then he began to wash me. And he himself began to pull out the burrs. And he was celebrating me. And then as soon as I confessed, the sheep like confessed sin, the chain broke and the guilt was gone. And there was a delight in Jesus over the sheep. He was telling me, you can't sin your way out of my grace. My grace is too big. You can't change how I feel about you. You can muck yourself up. You can get dirty. You can get into some burrs. You can get off the path. You can get really bloody even from what you did. But that cannot change the love and affection and commitment of Jesus. Listen to what he said. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus will never leave you. It doesn't matter what it was. And it doesn't matter how many times. He will never leave you or forsake you. Here's one more thing. It's a comfort. You have the promise of the Father 
that he's covenanted with Jesus to save you. Let me tell you why that's powerful. If you were at all involved, a covenant is like a contract. It's an agreement between two parties that is, you can't break it unless something dies. <clears throat> if you were a part of that covenant, then you might, it might be suggestible to you, well, if I really screw up though, maybe there's an asterisk somewhere, there's a clause at the end. If I really mess up, I get kicked out of this co- covenant. Like God's no longer required to be faithful to me. But that wasn't the covenant. In eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they met up and they say, let's talk about how we're going to save and redeem mankind. And there was a covenant made between the Father and Son. If you will die for them and they will put their faith in you, I will forgive them. And that's the Father's commitment to Jesus, not to you. The Father's not going to go back on his covenant to Jesus. Let me say that again. With regard to you, the Father will never go back on his covenant to Jesus. They're going to keep their covenant to one another, and you are the reward. You cannot fall out of his infinite, infinite grace. And all you have to do to clear the path is just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm running to you. I'm jumping over stuff and we'll deal with them together. Jesus, we'll go back across the trail and we'll pull all the stuff out. But I need you and I need you now. I'm sorry for running. I'm sorry. This was all dumb. I don't even know how I did that, but I'm sorry, Jesus. I know you'll never reject me. I don't have to earn my way back first. I'm going to run first to Jesus and then he and I will take care of it. So wherever you are, can I challenge you today and the next day and every day, Clear the road, man. And it might take some fire. It might take God's fire to do it. But it'll work. Ask him for it. And run to him again and again every day. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to stand up. And we're going to do two things. First, we're going to pray. You can just stand up now so I don't miss it. <clears throat> two things. First, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you ever, you never ran back initially, today's a great day to do it. And then we're going to ask, if you know that you've been, you know, you've been a Christian, you've been walking with God, but you have not been asking for more of the personalized love and power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to ask God to fill you today with, the Spirit, with, with his Spirit more and more and more. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads. God, some of us, we need to come right now. We're convicted. There is stuff in our road. You have a right to us. We are yours. And we thank you that you covenanted together with the Father that based on your work, not ours, you would save us. So Lord, we come. We don't have anything to commend ourselves to you. Would you forgive us of our sin? Help us, fill us with your spirit and help us to walk with you and get rid of this stuff in this road and teach us to come to you daily and to look in your word so we can see more clearly what it is. Now for everyone that really needs more of a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit, you need more power. You just, you don't even know what it is, but all of it, more holiness, more hunger, more conviction, all of it. For those who need that with your eyes closed still, I want to ask you to just put up your hands. And it's, just, it's, it's a sign of surrender saying, Holy Spirit, I too need more of you. I'm not too good. I need, however good I am, I need more of you. If you want to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh, 
That's what we're asking right now. Father, fill everyone in this auditorium with their hand up. I pray for an extra download, more of your spirit. I pray for greater clarity. I pray for greater conviction. I pray that there's certain uh, battles that they were overcome because of this. Lord, a greater walk, a clearer, crisper view of who Jesus is in the word, understanding to come to places they didn't have understanding before. Holy Spirit, fill them with your power and set them ablaze in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.